0: You're listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with your host, Small Dojo, Big Profits author, Mike Massey. Remember to go to MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com slash podcast for show notes, transcripts, links to martial arts business resources, and more. Now here's your host, Mike Massey.
1: Hey folks, Mike Massey coming at you with another edition of the Martial Arts Business Podcast from sunny Austin, Texas. I want to welcome everyone out there in the Martial Arts Business Nation and the Small Dojo Big Profits Tribe. Back to the podcast. Okay, so what do we have for this week? Well, this week's podcast episode is not necessarily going to be focused on business topics. Instead, I have a special guest that I'm interviewing. As many of you out there know, it is the 30th anniversary this year of the movie The Last Dragon. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, starring Mr. Time At Gariello. Now, this movie was very influential for me when I was a kid because it came out right about the time that I started martial arts. And at the time, even though Tomek was only a few years older than me, I think he was 19 when he started the movie, I really looked up to the guy and, uh, you know, <laughs> I kind of wanted to be Bruce Leroy, in a sense, after I saw this movie. Uh, my friends that I did martial arts with, you know, we all saw this movie. We ended up buying it on a VHS, which was uh, the DVD uh, technology, or the Blu-ray technology at the time. And uh, we would watch it over and over again and and, you know, quote lines from the movie and so forth, just cutting up and stuff. It was... You know, pretty much this movie was a, a big part of my childhood, my early teen years, anyway. So to have Tom Mac on the show and to interview him is a real honor for me. And as you can tell, I'm quite a fan, or at least a fan of the character Bruce Leroy. And now I'm also a fan of the actor himself. Um, I kind of think in a couple places here in the interview, as you'll hear, I went full on fanboy on him. So <laughs> he was very gracious about it and actually turned out to be a really cool guy. It's always nice to see that, uh, you know, when you're a fan of a movie and a character, character in a movie, and uh, you end up meeting the person who plays that character, the actor actress that plays that character in real life, that you find out that they're just as nice and just as cool as, as uh, you hoped they would be. And that was the case here with Mr. Uh, at Gariello. So uh, without further ado, I would like to uh, go ahead and get on with the interview. This is my interview with at Gariello, star of The Last Dragon. Hey, everyone out there in the martial arts business nation and the Small dojo Big Profits tribe. I have a very special guest on the podcast today. I have to tell you guys, I'm really excited to have this this person on. And I have here with me on the podcast today, uh, Ty Mack, who is the star of the movie, The Last Dragon. So, Ty Mack, welcome to the
2: show. Hey, how you doing, Michael? Yeah, my name is pronounced Time Mock. Not many people know that, but I just wanted to
1: <laughs> that's, that's my bad. I should have checked that out beforehand, Ty mock Okay. And you know... Okay. I was going to introduce you with your last name, too, but I was afraid I would butcher that even worse. How do you pronounce your last name?
2: Guariello. Or Guariello. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You got it right.
1: Okay, <laughs> good deal. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on because, um, you know, as a lot of people know, it is the 30th anniversary of The Last Dragon, the movie The Last Dragon. And that movie came out when I was about 14, and that was about the time that I started martial arts. And the movie was, was very influential on me as a young man. And uh, I really looked up to Time Mac when I was a kid, or time Mac, I should say, as a kid. And, uh, you know, he was, he, you know, basically you were one of my martial arts heroes when I was a young teenager, I got to tell you. So I'm happy to hear. Yeah, so uh, anyway, you know, speaking of the 30th anniversary of The Last Dragon, you know, you started that movie with Vanity and also the late Julius Carey. And it, tell me, you know, as your first acting role, how did starring in that movie change the trajectory of your life?
2: Uh, it did uh, very much so. I, um, you know, my life was geared around martial arts and uh, I was in a space of time where I wasn't really sure which direction I was going to go with my uh Career as far as what I was going to do, I was thinking I'd probably just continue training and then open up a school eventually. But I knew I needed uh, some education around business and, and that type of thing. And I I'd left uh, high school because uh, my friends that were seniors, I uh, was really close to them, they left. So I felt a little bit out of it. So I left high school. I, I ended up getting my GD eventually. Um, but then the last dragon came up. so it kind of put me in the direction as a uh, actor as well. As a martial artist.
1: So prior to actually starring in that role, you had no intentions of really getting into acting at all.
2: No, I just uh, I had a dream of it. I never uh, I never did any um, acting classes or anything like that. I did some school plays, and that was it.
1: Yeah, and I know everybody probably asks you how you got the role. And as I understand it, um, you stole that role from somebody else with no uh, acting experience. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, he um, had the role, but when I went back and uh, he didn't sign, they didn't, didn't sign. When I went back to uh, try out the second time, they gave me the part. <laughs>
1: that's a that's pretty cool, you know. And I, personally, I mean, having you know watched the movie over the last thirty years, numerous times. I can't really picture anybody else being in that role myself, you know, being the last dragon. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: (laughs) you. Yeah. Well, it was meant to be. Yeah, it was meant to be. I think so too, you know. So, you know, the funny thing about the movie was, and I can remember seeing it as a kid, and of course, you know, I watched it last night again in preparation for this interview and enjoyed it just as much watching it last night. It was just as funny, just as entertaining. I cheered just as much at the end as I did the first time watching it. You know, but watching it as an adult, you know, is a little different than watching it as a child. I still enjoyed it. But at the time the movie was released, it was panned by the critics. But what was interesting is martial arts fans like myself, like me, you know, we really loved it. I think people really supported it. And at the box office, you know, people showed their support because it pulled in at the time, which was this was in 1985, a very respectable 33 million domestic. So now that movie is considered to be a cult classic. And I'm just curious. Did anybody who was involved with the movie project at the time expect it to be such a long-standing success?
2: Yeah, I mean, I did. I, I didn't think that far ahead. I was thinking that people would like it for a long time, but uh, I, I was never thought of 20 or 30 years, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that, that I was thinking about maybe five years, you know. Um, you know, the film was not, promoted or marketed to, uh, I, I hate to say it, it, was true, to a white audience. It was uh, just marketed to a black uh, crowd, which was uh, very odd because uh, the producer, Barry Gordy, didn't see it as a black film. I know it does. So many of the fans that come visit me when I do order their signings that are white, see it as a black film. They just enjoy it, you know?
1: Mhm. And you know that's something that I thought was very interesting because for many years the film was it was termed or categorized by some critics as being a black exploitation film which I never saw it that way. I thought it was anything but. So, oh, you know, when people would categorize it like that, what how does that make you feel? What do you say to that? Uh,
2: so what is a black exploitation film that's exploiting uh you know certain stereotypes, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, uh this film was the opposite. It was making fun of stereotypes. Yep. So that that was just ignorant, you know. So people would have made wrong opinions with that. Uh yeah. I thought it was pretty intelligent how they dealt with the race and you know with humor and you know, the Chinese guy the whole time, you know.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was funny watching it last night, how much fun they poked at stereotypes and, and uh, you know, it was it was pretty clever. It was in also, to me, a bit cutting edge for its time because, you know, I don't think anybody had done that in popular films to that point, at least not right. in the martial arts movie.
2: Right, right, right. Exactly. I think it's really uh, a powerful film to be shown today, being that they're having these different racial situations going on in the country. I think it's, uh, it brings some humor and light, light, lightness to it.
1: Yeah I'd have to agree with that you know I think some of the funniest scenes in the movie are uh, probably well uh, I think it has to do with the guys at the at the uh, Fortune cookie factory you know the, right. those, are, those are some of the funniest scenes in the movie I mean it's pretty hilarious and I, you know it's kind of interesting too because the main character Leroy Green you know he is you know anything but a stereotype but yet he actually kind of makes himself into a stereotype, an Asian stereotype.
2: <laughs> right, as that's what was clever about it. Right.
1: Yeah, and it's so much fun. I mean, that you know, watching the movie and seeing that character and, and also watching him evolve throughout the film is kind of fun as well. So, yeah, I, I agree. It's, right. it, you know, in my opinion, anything but an exploitative film.
2: Yeah, I mean, that, that was the, the genius about the whole thing for people who haven't seen it. My character is black and he dresses as if he's Chinese. Uh, stereotypically in his mind what a Chinese martial artist would dress like with a coolie hat on and a kung fu outfit and he walks around that way all through the film. Yeah,
1: yeah and yeah, I have to tell you, after seeing the film, you know, remember I was an impressionable young kid, you know, 14, 15 around the time that it came out. Um, I I started, like, wearing like martial arts hat. uniform. <laughs> Not a coolie hat, but I started wearing <laughs> like, you know, like my karate uniform, like I'd cut the sleeves off and stuff, you know, yeah. trying to be like Bruce Lee <laughs> Royce. Yeah.
2: So. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, let's talk a little bit about the martial arts part of the film because I was I was watching it last night. You know, I was kind of internally commenting to myself on the fight scenes, and one thing that I thought was interesting that I, I probably didn't pick up before was how much Wing Chun there was in the fight scenes. Now I'm curious, was that intentional to kind of you know pay homage to Bruce Lee? Yeah. Or was it something that just came out of Chinese goju?
2: Yeah, well, you know, Ron Van uh he was very with uh, when Chen and he kind of used it more, the techniques for more combat style. But uh, yeah, he did. Uh, Ron Van Cleef uh, did put more of that in there, and uh, you know, yeah, it was it was definitely intentional to to try to mimic Bruce Lee through the film.
1: And he actually served as a fight coordinator on the film. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, him and Ernie Ray is senior.
1: Ernie Ray is senior. Okay, because I knew Ernie Ray Yeah. Okay, and so, you know, this is kind of interesting, but, you know, a lot of people don't know that Grandmaster Van Cleef was the first black kung fu star in Hong Kong. Is that correct?
2: Right, right, right. Well, it was him and Jim Kelly. and It was another gentleman. But, yeah, he was really at the cutting edge of that having uh being accepted in Hong Kong uh, and um, doing a, a, quite a few films. And the one I saw in that kind of sparked my eye because I never seen a black guy in Kung Fu movies before was uh, The Black Dragon. And it was uh, really great to see it <laughs> when I was a little kid. He became a hero and I finally got to meet him and I started training with him. It was great.
1: Yeah, and he really was. I mean, he was really kind of the first actor, the first black actor that was really accepted in Hong Kong. Seriously, is right. that correct? Yeah,
2: right. I would say so. You know, you, you had Jim Kelly uh, with end of *The Dragon*, but as far as spending time in the Hong Kong movies, movies, uh, he was pretty much the first one there.
1: So, with Ryan Cleef being your instructor and also acting as a fight co- coordinator on the film, was there kind of a little bit of you know him being the Black Dragon. Was there kind of a little bit of him passing the mantle on to you in a sense?
2: Uh, I guess. I mean, it wasn't. So I mean, I was a kid. I wasn't thinking that yeah. I mean, Think about it too much, but uh, it, if that's the way you see it, yeah.
1: Okay, got gotcha. you. Well, so tell me. You know, I'm curious because you know most of our listeners out there are martial arts instructors. And tell us a little bit about what your training with uh, Grandmaster Van Cleef was like.
2: Oh, it was always, uh, a lot of, uh, intense, uh, drills. Uh, he believed, uh, he came from the military, so he believed in repetition, you know? And, uh, so, you know, you'd go in and you'd have to knock out a hundred pushups and a hundred deep knee bends. And then you'd have to throw a hundred round kicks with the back leg hard to the heavy bag and then the other leg. So he was like a lot about that. And then Spine was full contact with headgear and, you know, uh, and he would play classical music in the background a lot of the time. <laughs> and <then> he'd, spar. <laughs> he'd play all kinds of music, but definitely he he, he had a lot of charisma, and a lot of personality. Uh huh. So kind and of. It was, system, it was right? a, it was a basement, you know, we were training in a, I'd say about a 10, 12 by 22 foot basement. Uh huh. You know? Yeah, so it wasn't very big. It was, uh, you know, he was going around the country and around the world doing films and stunt work and everything. So, yeah, that was the place in the Lower East Side.
1: So about 600, yeah, roughly, what, 600 square feet, I guess? No, like that, yeah. no,
2: no, no. Uh, it was like 10 to 12 uh, wide and long, uh, no more than no more than 20 feet.
1: Oh, gosh, so you're talking like, like less Tiny. than 250 square feet. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow, Man, that's yeah. small. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. But it was it was hardcore. How many other students were there?
2: Well, he had a lot of students, but um, not all at once. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the most people doing there like ten people. You know, um, yeah, it was it was pretty intense.
1: Ten people in two hundred fifty square feet. That's tight.
2: Yeah. And for a while, he taught uh, with he had a student named Radu who was. a huge, uh, remaining guy, huge, uh, gymnastics coach and fitness person that he had a big foot and we would train there when I was like 16 and that was on 57th street up, up in the building. Uh, people like Bianca Jagger and Cindy Crawford used to go there. And yeah. And then, uh, I do with, uh, when he done with his teaching, uh, we would have martial arts class with Ron Van Cleef.
1: Huh. Interesting. So so do you still train with Grandmaster Van Cleef?
2: No, I haven't in many, many years. Uh, I left New York in 1995 and mm-hmm. got to L.A. And, and we just stayed in touch for a few years. We had a time, we weren't talking for a while, but we've been definitely back. We, we talked uh, just the other day. We uh, haven't been training. He yeah. lives in Hawaii now.
1: Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah, I I, I wasn't aware of that. So I, I kinda keep up with them a little bit by following them on Facebook, but I wasn't uh, I didn't I wasn't aware you he, he lived in Hawaii. So I've seen some pictures on your website of you, you know, training jujitsu and some other stuff. What does your martial arts training look like these days?
2: Well, uh I just I had an injury but it's uh, much better and it's basically healed. I'm um, doing a little recuperating, and I've been doing uh, Brazilian jiu jitsu with uh Marcelo Garcia, who's the world champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, famous Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, artist and I'm really enjoying that. I'm a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, I was planning to compete um, but the injury sidetracked. that I tore my leg but it's um, healed now. Um, but I have to focus more on putting my head and, and getting another movie made. Uh, so I'm focusing on that writing uh, <clears> even though I'm training every day now that, my, that I'm better. I've spent time... Uh, also, now, now, uh, it's stretching because I wasn't able to do it with the drawing weight and giving my kicks, uh, repetitions back in. So by the summer, I should be hundred percent, you know. Um, you know, I, I, am not a, a very much into weightlifting, but, uh, uh-huh. I, I respect it and I, and I do it periodically. Uh, but, um, just developing my chi and, uh, moving like a 20 year old is my objective.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, uh, moving like a 20 year old, I used to have a friend that was an internal martial artist and, uh, the guy was at the time I knew him, he was my age, about mid forties. And he kind of moved like, he was like 20 years old. I think the, you know, the you're talking about developing your chi and internal arts, you know, I think in some ways that might be the key to that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole circle, you know, how you, how you are and your lifestyle and, uh, your, your flexibility um the nutrition, you know, the whole nine yards.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interestingly enough, yeah, I mean you you said that you know you intend to compete. Do you ever feel like there's any additional pressure on you because you have been an action and martial arts film star? Like when you oh, go to competition, you know, people yeah.
2: They expect me to get the glow. Uh huh. And and uh and uh you know, <laughs> do my thing. I expect yeah. to get the glow too. So yeah. <laughs> You know, so I don't, you know, that doesn't bother me at all. I have high expectations of myself, and I I have no problem putting the work in, and uh, the challenge is there, you know, and, and, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all.
1: Okay, well, when you finally compete, I fully expect somebody out there in the Internet sphere to find some footage of you and add the glow when you're
2: competing.
1: (laughs) 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 I know that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I don't know when I end, uh, cause I just got promoted to Purple Belt mm-hmm. and, uh. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And I, uh, haven't been able to put in, uh, um, a lot of training and since injury, but now I plan to, but I'm in a whole different bracket now. There, you know, Purple Belts and Jiu Jitsu have been out there mm-hmm. for 10 years. So I have to really fine tune every time before I get out there again.
1: Yeah, that's, it, it can be very competitive. I mean, you know, I've known some purple belts that, man, gosh, you know, they were really, really good. So,
2: Yeah, yeah, there's some purple belts moving like black belts up there, pretty, uh, mm-hmm. pretty uh, high level. Uh, but um, I'll be at Marcello's rolling in another month, so definitely come down. If you want to roll, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah,
1: well i uh i admittedly am uh, one of those people that has a love hate relationship with jiu jitsu
2: so you have a what uh, relationship? a love hate
1: relationship with jiu jitsu yeah oh yeah i I do it because I know I have to do it but i <laughs> it's not my favorite thing to do
2: well yeah i mean yeah it's it's you know i just you know i drop all my uh you know everything that I'm thinking about and I just try to learn from what uh, Marcelo is teaching because mm-hmm. he's really considered one of the best in the world at it so that's kind of why I'm there uh, and you know the, my, my skills I, I can use my skills but just uh, it's not so much the specific technique as it is uh, concepts around how to uh, move you know and how to relax and how to um, uh, be aggressive and when to be aggressive and, you know all those different things that I, I've gotten on my own when I, I roll or something like that, I can apply it there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, well, you couldn't have a better coach. Yeah, exactly. That's what I really appreciate.
1: Well, tell me about, you know, I'm going to switch gears here for a minute because uh, I could talk about martial arts forever, but there's some other things that have to do with the movie that I kind of want to touch on and, one of the things I noticed because I, I was doing research for this interview and I was looking up the soundtrack and, you know, kind of talking to my wife. We're both children in the eighties and talking about, you know, DeBarge, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the rhythm of the night. I mean, that movie, that, that sound, a soundtrack or I should say song from the movie, you know, it hit number one, I believe on the R&B charts and it was number five overall. And, uh, you know, it was a big deal back then. And there were, I looked at the soundtrack and there were, you know, just, it, it just seems like it's a who's who of, you know, legends and, and stars from that time.
2: Right. Right. So you,
1: yeah. You had people like, you know, you, of course you had vanity, you know, was your co-star and then, you know, Willie Hutch, which a lot of people who follow, you know, Motown would know Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, Rockwell, the temptations. And, and you know, all these big names. And I'm just curious myself, did you ever get to meet, meet any of those stars, any of those uh, musicians?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I stayed with Barry Gordy for a while and he uh-huh. took me around to different events and parties and, Yeah, I got to hang out with uh, a lot of them, you know, and Diana Ross. Uh, Yeah, it was uh, pretty much uh, like a family. Everybody got to know each other a bit, but I was from the East Coast. They all lived in the West Coast. Uh, But yeah, I did get to hang out with them. They know, very talented people, or are talented people.
1: Mm-hmm. That's just so cool. So any of those people that you met, was there anybody who was maybe like, a, you know, a, you know you were a big fan of or, you know, was like your Well, I, idol? I
2: mean, yeah. I mean, I, I remember a lot of those songs as, as my parents listened to them. That's like Robinson and Patience mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that Ross. She was really big in the 80s. She was huge.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, she was like, almost like, what Beyonce is now, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh So yeah yeah I was a fan of their music
1: yeah i think I think I would be a little bit starstruck myself,
2: yeah I mean, uh, they were really excited to meet me um because it was the first film very, very in mm-hmm. years, and that uh, was a big deal, so they were all like <laughs> when they met me, they were really excited, it was funny <laughs>
1: That's yeah
2: cool. yeah it was, it was like yeah, the other way around,
1: everybody wanted to meet Bruce Leroy, huh
2: right. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, and I was uh, pretty – I enjoyed meeting them, you know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, What what an opportunity, you know, as a young man to be able to do that and meet those people. That's just – that's really – so cool. So tell me about uh, about this. You know, as I mentioned previously, The Last Dragon, you know, now considered to be a cult classic. And, you know, I found it interesting. It's been referenced in popular culture. Even recently, it was referenced by uh, Buster Rhymes on one of his albums. And then even recently, um, the group uh, LMFAO, they had that hit in 2011. It was Sex and I Know It. And they had a line in there about about the glow. So, right. you know, pretty much everybody of my era, martial arts wise, knows what it means when you say, you know, I've got the glow or he's got the glow or something like that. So how does it feel for you to be part of a film project that has touched the lives of so many people for so many years?
2: Yeah, L-M-S-A-L, um like Bruce Lee, I got the glow. Uh-huh. I think so. that's what they said. Uh, uh-huh. Something like that. Uh, I saw uh, him when he was a kid at one of those parties that Barry Gordy took me around. The, the redhead one, the big Afro. Really? Yeah, and I haven't seen him since. So when I saw that, I was, I was, I was like, that's. <laughs> a, I didn't know it was Barry uh nephew, I believe. Uh huh. Uh, grandnephew. Uh, anyway, uh, it was pretty interesting. I didn't know that that's what he said until my different fans are saying, they're saying, you, uh, time off, we so, right, so. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something, you know, because I could be anywhere and, uh, you know, when I do some of these comic cons and I do autograph signings, sometimes they're a little 10 year old come over my table because their parents are showing them the movie. And I've had three generations, you know, Mm -hmm. parents showing their son, now their son's in his thirties and he has little kids and he's showing it, you know, so it's that type of thing. It's, uh, it's a warm feeling because, uh i you know I never looked at myself uh to be part of something like that that people have such a warm feeling about you know every time I meet them they they you know, i mean they act so nice, you know so it's cool mm-hmm. it's really cool,
1: yeah, and you know I have to say personally um you know having the perspective of seeing it first when I was a kid and now you know still watching the show you know <laughs> as I did last night. That uh, you know, there was an innocence about that, that character, uh, Leroy Green, and he, you know, he was kind of like this character that really epitomized what at least I grew up feeling like a martial arts instructor, a martial artist should be like. You know, he always tried to do the right thing. He tried to avoid violence. You know? right. um, you know, it, you know, martial arts was his last resort. You know, in, in a lot of ways, Stymok, like, I just wish that we had more heroes like that today in media.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I agree. I'm writing about that in my autobiography, which I'll be done with, uh, this summer. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see, you know, the, you know, I'm, uh, it's not just because I'm older now, uh, but I, I'm sure young people see it too, how, uh, there are people out there that are doing martial arts that are still, uh, like, uh, arrogant and, uh, it's all about the athleticism or, uh, how high the belt I have. Uh, I could care less about the belt, honestly. I got, I had to, uh, respect the belt system again when I started, uh, being a student again, uh, mm-hmm. and doing a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because, uh, you know, I would get promoted. But, uh, I just think that, uh, you know, one should think of themselves as a person first. And mm-hmm. how to be the best they can be, uh, especially if you consider yourself a martial arts, you know, you be humble. You
1: know. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And, it, you know, martial arts is, is a vehicle for, really for touching other people's lives and impacting them in a positive way. And it can it can be used in the opposite way, obviously. But, uh, you know, for me anyway, it's always been that way. So, yeah, it, you know, I have to say, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why I'm such a fan of the film was because that character was so influential on me because of the fact that it did, the character did emulate so many of those positive qualities that, uh, that I wanted to, you know, to, uh, you know, evidence myself through training in martial arts. So, so I got to say, you know, I want to thank you for, for being a part of that. I know it was just something that, you know, it, you know, you f- maybe feel like just happened to you and you were in the right place at the right time or whatever, but you know, really, I got to thank you for that.
2: Yeah, you're welcome. It's, uh, it's, an, honor. it's an honor to have uh, played that role and to, um, be here today talking about it and uh, the future will be bright for more
0: worlds to
1: come. So. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was on your site actually looking at, at uh, one of your latest projects. I want to talk about that in a minute. But for now, because I really want to talk about the 30th anniversary, The Last Dragon, because I know that you're sort of going on a tour, making appearances at special showings around the country. I myself, when you announced it, I immediately went and bought two tickets for the Austin showing, so I will oh, be there really? in, in support. But <laughs> uh, right. can you yeah, yeah I, look forward, I actually look forward to meeting you in person. But can you please tell our audience about these special showings of The Last Dragon and just let them know yeah, where yeah. they can go to find out about times and stuff, tickets?
2: Yeah, you can go to my website. It's T A I M A K dot com, I am time on dot com. And uh, appearances, you'll see in the top, and just press appearances, and you'll see where I'm at every uh, month, you know, Newark, I'm going to be in Newark this weekend, uh, and you can find, uh, find all the information on my the website there and your the appearances. And then, uh, I'll be in Boston, uh, on the border of Boston and Rhode Island at the uh, Comic Con. And then I go to Texas, you know, in April, uh, the whole, uh, where I go to San Antonio, right outside Dallas, uh, Austin and, uh, uh, uh Houston. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's like one right after the other, they're going to be showing it at the draft house. So if you Mm -hmm. just go to my website and and click on appearances, you'll feel that you can find all the websites, how to get tickets and all that,
1: you know? Yeah. And Alamo draft house is really the perfect venue for showing that movie.
2: Oh, good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I, I think you're going to get a good turnout in Austin too, by the way, you know, a lot of film buffs down here.
2: So. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm working with your agent. Uh, for these appearances, and uh, they're doing a great job.
1: Absolutely. Well, I was so happy to see that you were having something for the 30th anniversary. You know, when I when I uh, started following you on Facebook, and I saw you were doing this. I, you know, and you kind of mentioned you were like, you know, let me know where you would like to have the movie shown, and so forth. So I'm I'm glad you're coming to Austin because it's going to be a lot of fun to go see the movie and
2: see you there. Yeah, yeah. Demetrius Angelo, he is um, in the action in the independent um, film festival here in New York every year in the fall. Mm-hmm. He did like a pre party uh in November of last year and uh mm-hmm. three hundred people showed up and it was a lot of fun right in Times. Square. Wow. So uh yeah, it should be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Looking yeah. forward to well, it. Looking- looking to- yeah. Me too. So, you know, uh, I will definitely see you there. Now, let's talk about this real quick. I know you have some other projects coming up. Um, I was actually watching. You have uh, kind of like almost like a police procedural kind of action drama film that you're working on. And this is your directorial debut. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I um I've been developing this project. I, I, I went away from it for a while to work on my autobiography and to do other things. But but uh now I'm um, back on it and I'm. Uh, the thing about getting a film finance, uh, especially f- for someone like me that's been away for such a while, uh, I have to put myself back out there, and that's one of the things I've been doing—doing mm-hmm. doing by going out and doing these autograph signings and uh, being seen more. So I'm I'm, I'm getting at, coming down from the mountain as we speak, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really uh, making myself more visible, and. Uh, um, the this, getting these films financed, uh, that's something that I have to do. I have to uh, make myself visible and I have to show my work. So I've shot uh, quite a few scenes two years ago. Now I'm going to shoot some more scenes that are pertinent to, to packaging the film. Uh, it will help finance the film. And uh, also, um, you know, show, show my acting chops. So those are the things I'm focusing on now. as my acting shops and then I'm going to shoot uh, some fighting to show that I uh, I can still do what I do, you know. So um, and that it's an interesting concept. Basically, it's uh, it's about a, a character, um, I'm a detective that has um, massive martial arts, and he, he like you were talking about before, he has a certain level of integrity. Uh, that a normal cop might not have, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, but at the same time, it's challenging because a lot of the other police officers aren't on the same page. So he has to be courageous. He has to be a leader. He has to make the tough decisions. And at the same time, he has to do his job out there dealing with criminals. So, you know, and that, that, uh, that evaluation is so high and it's so intense that, he goes to his spiritual side of martial arts training to really gain some groundedness, you know, mm-hmm. because it, it gets to be a lonely place.
1: Yeah, doing the right thing is often a lonely place in real life, isn't it? Sorry, I said doing the right thing can often be a lonely place in real life.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. You know, you know, because yeah. uh, you're going up against the grain, but you can also yeah. have uh, you can you can laugh at it. To yourself too yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah <laughs> like everybody
2: else is crazy but me <laughs> yeah
1: that's a good attitude to have i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna borrow that one for sure you yeah, know yeah. well I, I i have to say too I, I watched the trailer for that film and and you know you said this the scenes were only shot like two years ago and i mean personally i was watching the fight scenes in there and i was like wow man he hasn't missed a beat you know yeah, you it, still
2: look better well, thank even. you yeah but thank you i just uh i'm in a perfectionist in a way uh where I, I I was doing everything myself, directing, writing, acting, and producing. So, so now that I have time away, I can just focus more on the side scenes and just mm-hmm. my acting, scenes, not the other actors. So so uh, I'm pretty excited to get that going. You know.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see it too. You know, and I think you know if you ever decide to do a a sequel to The Last Dragon, I think you could get that crowdsourced online in a heartbeat.
2: Well, you know, I, I'm I'm you know. I I don't know what to say. You know, they've been talking about and, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it's just, you know, I don't think there's been a film like that, uh, whether it's a leading, you know, black, mulatto, white, anybody, uh, you know, since that film, I mean, you could count on one hand, uh, martial arts stars, I mean, it, what you had uh, after that was what Seagal uh, did for the movie in the 90s. And then, uh-huh. you know, you had uh, a couple here and there, you know. You didn't really have, as far as Americans, uh, any martial arts. as was a young guy, you know. And I think that it's such a strong field to do, uh, you know. But I, I mean real martial arts. I'm not just talking about like Charlie's Angels. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, because I don't see anything else out there that's like that that has that type of a cult following 30 years later, you know, besides Bruce Lee films.
2: I think that some of these, uh, there's 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 an audience out there that would love to see great martial arts, real, authentic martial arts, not just, uh, hiring actors and then showing them a kick and a punch and having them train and and that's not real martial arts, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh... But I understand. I understand. They want good acting too, so that's why I'm, uh, I'm ready for that too.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons why Michael Jai White is uh, has been so popular for so long with martial artists and the film roles that he's done. Because yeah, the he, fact he's that he great. Portrays, yeah, he's awesome martial artist. Same thing, you know. So, so uh, you know, I. I I'm looking forward to see whatever projects you come out with, and uh you know if <laughs> like I said, if you ever decide to do a sequel to the last dragon, I honestly think you could crowdsource it in a heartbeat, and you should consider crowdsourcing for uh for other projects too, because I think you've got a lot more people out there in fandom that would support you than you might think
2: yeah, yeah, I mean I see them when I go to uh, I go to the different or, and when I walk down the street, a lot of people get, uh, but i i would have to uh i don't think everything is as simple as it seems you know I think uh you need a really great marketing team to to get that type of thing happening mm mm-hmm.
1: yeah, well, you know I mean you're the expert i you know I'm not in the entertainment industry, so I don't know yeah. all i all I know is is I know that uh you know I'm a fan I'm a fan of the movie and uh whatever you come up with whatever projects I'll look forward to seeing them so we are coming up on time. I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you're a busy man, but uh, I'd like for you to share with our listeners where they can go to find out more about you, follow your latest projects, where they sure. can find you on Facebook, and so forth.
2: Sure. So you go to imtaiamak.com, that's mm-hmm. I-A-M-T-A-I-M-A-K, or uh, any social media, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, backslash I am time uh So you'll you'll see me there, and uh, I'll respond.
1: Okay. Outstanding. All right. And uh, I will tell you guys that I'm about to close out the interview with Tom, but... Um, I'm trying to arrange to do a DVD and a movie poster giveaway for this interview, also yeah. to, uh, help his, uh, to help promote his to help promote his his upcoming showings of the film The Last Dragon. So what I'll do is, um, after I end up the interview, uh, when we go on to the tip of the week, I'll also let you guys know how you can have a chance to win either a DVD or a movie poster, The Last Dragon. So stay tuned for that. Tomek, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a really big deal to me, and uh, I appreciate you coming on and let me interview
2: you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Is good
1: meeting. All right, that concludes my interview with Tom Ock Gariello, Star of The Last Dragon. Now, as we mentioned in the interview, Tom Ock will be making special appearances at selected showings of The Last Dragon in selected theaters around the country. So if you want to see Tom Ock in person, maybe get an autograph or just show up to support the 30th anniversary showings of the film, you can go to his website at and and find out all the information you need to find out movie showing times and where to buy tickets. Okay, so we have decided that in conjunction with the 30th anniversary of The Last Dragon, that we here at the Martial Arts Business Podcast will be giving away an autographed copy of the DVD of The Last Dragon and also an official movie poster, both autographed by Tom Mack. So, how do you win? Well, here's how you win. The first person who can go to the podcast page for this podcast episode on MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com and leave a message in the comment section letting me know, telling me what the name of the old sage was. The old sage that that, uh, Bruce Leroy's master in the movie tells him that he should seek out. This is in the beginning moments of the movie in the first scene. Time Mock, or Bruce Leroy's master, tells him he needs to seek out an old wise sage. So what is the name of the sage that he tells him to seek out? The first person who can tell me with proper spelling, by the way. The first person who can tell me in the comment section on the blog, either in the Facebook comments or in the native comment section of the blog, will win the autographed DVD and movie poster. So get cracking. All right, that's it. Now for the tip of the week, and good luck with winning the autographed DVD and movie
0: poster. The tip of the week. It's time for our featured martial arts business tip of the week. For more great tips, be sure to visit artsbusinessdaily.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And while you're there, click on the Business Resources tab for links to all Mike's Martial Arts Business books and courses. Now, here's your Martial Arts Business Tip of the Week.
1: All right, so the tip of the week this week is going to deal with trademarks. Now, I just want to say that I'm not an attorney, although I do have some experience in the law, and uh, as many of you know, I've said before, I'm a a proud law school dropout, but I'm not an attorney. By no means am I anywhere close to being an attorney, and by no means should you consider anything I'm going to say in this podcast tip of the week as qualified legal advice. However, um, hopefully the information that I share with you will help you avoid some unpleasant Uncomfortable situations in uh, choosing a name for your business and then finding out it's somebody else's name. So here's the deal What is a trademark? Well, and I'm going to read this right off of uh, Harvard Law School's cyber law website. And this is their definition. They say a trademark is a word, a symbol, or a phrase used to identify a particular manufacturer or seller's products and distinguish them from the products of another. And they give some examples, such as the Nike name along with the Nike swoosh that is designed to identify the shoes made by Nike and that distinguishes them from shoes made by other companies. Likewise, they give examples of Coca-Cola, distinguishing themselves from the Pepsi product, etc., etc., etc. So here's the thing. What makes a trademark uh, such that you can have the right to uh, defend that trademark against other people infringing upon it under the rule of law, at least here in the United States? Well, in order for a trademark or in order for something, either a name, a phrase, or uh, some sort of symbol to serve as a trademark, it has to be distinctive. In other words, it has to be unlike, no, it has to be not like any other trademark. It cannot be like anybody else's trademark, which is one of the reasons why you need to choose an original name for your Business. Now, the thing is, acquiring rights to trademark, it's actually pretty simple here in the U.S. Either you have to be the first person to use that trademark in commerce, in other words, the first person to use it uh, in business, or you have to be the first person to register it with the U.S. Trademark and Patent Office. So the thing is, is that those are the two ways that you can actually acquire rights to a trademark. Now, that's the problem with having a trademark that you never register if you don't register that trademark and somebody else decides they're going to register it like a, a couple of years back there was a very popular case that actually the person who registered the trademark lost where they had uh, this company had registered the uh, the common name in a foreign language of a particular self defense art and uh, they had decided to keep anybody else in the United States from using that name in commerce. And uh, they ended up getting sued and they lost because they were using a common name. Even though it was in a foreign language, it was still a common name. You can't use something like a very common name to describe your business and expect to um, you know, defend that in court. So you can't you know, trademark self-defense. And then say, well, nobody else can use self-defense descriptively for their business because they're infringing on my trademark. That's not going to happen. You can't trademark you know, the word karate or kung fu or or even the proper name of specific martial art like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You couldn't trademark that either. That's not going to happen. However, if you name your martial arts school like I did, Massey's Martial Arts. I had Massey's Martial Arts. That was named my corporation. I actually had that... Um, that name uh, registered as my corporate name with the secretary of state here in Texas. So I had some legal, I guess you could say, um, Uh, Proof that I had I had a registered trademark, or not necessarily registered with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, but at least um, that I had a legal claim to it because I was the first person to use that mark in commerce here in Texas. I did a name search actually on the on the SOS website to make sure nobody else was using it at the time I registered it. So the thing is that gave me a right to that trademark now. That doesn't mean that somebody else in the country couldn't use the same name because I hadn't registered it nationally with the U.S. trademark or Patent and Trademark Office. If I wanted to protect my name, let's say I was going to franchise Massey's Martial Arts, I would have wanted to uh, register that trademark with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office so nobody else in the U.S. could use that name. Uh, fortunately, though, for myself, um, I decided never to. <laughs> I was never going to franchise that business, and it was just going to be little old me. So, I basically just wanted to protect that name uh, within the boundaries of my state. Uh, so, if somebody else would have opened up Massey's Martial Arts within the boundaries of the state, they probably would have taken them to the court to uh, court for. For uh, trademark infringement. Now, and that is the problem with choosing an original name for your school. You want to make sure that you choose a name that nobody else is using. Sometimes that's difficult. And uh, let's say your last name is Johnson and you name your martial arts school Johnson's martial arts. I doubt very seriously if you're going to be able to uh, defend that name against trademark infringement in a court of law. However, if you come up with something that's a little bit more original, like, say, uh, Johnson's Hurricane Martial Arts or Johnson's Meteor Martial Arts or something like that, you know, something that's a little bit more original, has a little bit more of a descriptor to it, then I think, yeah, you would probably have a, a, a decent claim if you were the first person to use that in trade. So... The thing is is that uh, you don't want to choose a name that's similar to somebody else's name just because you like their name, for example, a couple of years back, I came out with uh, the Fighting Fit Boot camp program and we trained a lot of people in uh, you know to become fighting fit boot camp instructors and we licensed it and licensed the materials and the curriculum and so forth and then within a few months, I saw multiple multiple martial arts schools, and some of these people were actually my clients, which really you know pissed me off greatly that uh, decided that they were going to teach their own boot camp programs without any training or experience or what have you. And, you know, I saw, you know, fit to fight boot camps and uh, fitness fighting boot camps and and uh, fit fight boot camps and all kinds of craziness, you know. And it just, it was out of hand, you know, pretty quickly. And it got to the point where I was like, you know, I can go after these people or just call them stupid and just ignore them. And that's what I decided to do. But the thing is, is that you can get yourself into some, Pretty serious legal trouble in a civil in in a civil sense, you know, where you can be sued in court. and It can actually cost you money in legal fees and court costs, and then also if uh, if the judge or the jury in the case, if it goes to trial, rules against you, and they decide that you owe the other person um, money, you know, in order to give them some sort of reparations for their for their losses, whatever those might be, for infringing on their trademark or their goodwill or what have you, it can cost you a lot of money if you you know don't choose your name properly. So when choosing a name for your business, you want to make sure you choose something that's original that nobody else has and that nobody else has used before in business. Now here in the state of Texas, uh, we can pretty easily go on the Secretary of State's website and do a name search for a buck and find out if anybody else in the state of Texas is using our business name or something close to it. And that's a pretty reliable way to search. Um, If you You know, think someday you might franchise your business. I don't know why you would do that, but if you wanted to, then uh, you could search on the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I believe they have a name search function there as well, um, where for a fee you can find out if anybody else has that name, that trademark registered. So, um, why would you want to do this? Well, to save yourself some heartache down the road. Um, We just had a situation uh, just recently with uh, one of the guys that I coach and a, a mutual friend of ours. And this guy that I coached decided that he was going to change the name of his business. And he changed it to a name that was incredibly similar to that, uh, the name of the school owned by that mutual acquaintance of ours. And uh, of course this guy took umbrage with it because they're operating in the same state and uh, he doesn't want somebody else, you know, infringing on his trademark. He doesn't want somebody else using his business name and perhaps confusing his business with their business. And there are good reasons for that because let's say for example that I name my school Massey's Martial Arts. And then somebody else in a uh, close by to me names their school Massey's Karate. It would be very easy for the public to confuse the Two in business. Now the names are not similar except for the Massey name. But unfortunately what could happen is what if that other person who's running Massey's Karate and I'm running Massey's Martial Arts that person running Massey's Karate ends up running afoul of the law. What if they are not using very good business practices or what if, you know, quite simply they're just, you know, not very good at what they're doing and their reputation becomes poor. That could reflect poorly back on my business, which is the reason why people want to make sure that they defend their trademarks. So, my point of all this is in telling you this is to make sure that you choose an original name for your school and make sure you choose an original logo. Make sure you give it a lot of thought. Choose a name that's catchy, that's easy to remember, and that's short enough to use in a domain name to where somebody doesn't have to type in, you know, uh, know, 150 characters in order to look up your school name online. And uh, when you're creating a logo for your business, make sure you're not just ripping off somebody else's logo. Make sure you're using something that is original. Or if you are using a common symbol, something that commonly uh, that com- people commonly associate with your business or your style of martial arts or what have you, make sure that you're doing it in an original manner and that you're not infringing on anybody else's trademark. So um, that's just my two cents about this uh, situation or this uh, subject. And I hope this information helps you. So once again. Just choose originally. Try to be as original as possible when you're creating a symbol, logo for your business, or a trademark. All right, that's it for this week's tip of the week, and I will talk to you soon in a future podcast episode.
0: You've been listening to the Martial Arts Business Podcast with Mike Masson. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this show, leave us a positive review while you're there. Thanks for your support. And tune in again next time for more great martial arts business tips and advice from MartialArtsBusinessDaily.com.